0: You'll never believe this, a pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and
1: tradition should inspire but not limit us.
0: Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. unlike the last time when we were like la, 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 la,
1: la. oh that was so good um, yeah, i was
0: like trying to signal to you like the thing is not on
1: so yeah, when okay. you buy a house the key is like the most ridiculous formality there is right like for sure we we owned the house for like five days before we got together and the only thing we did was the the, the realtor literally handed us a key and we have all code locks on our house so we're like uh, we've been in here for 5 days now just getting in with the code <laughs> and, and it's so it's so uh, anti-ceremonial because the key is so tiny too like i I'd, I'd much rather have like a big jumbo key like they give like the key to the city the key to the city <laughs> yeah. like so, i would love that too. and now ralph super and kendra kennedy here is the key to your home and just this big jumbo skeleton
0: key steroids <laughs> that would be great. So wow, yeah, man, they just, they just hand thing. you a
1: tiny little key and they're like, now you can go in to this
0: massive home. It's like, like, yeah, great. we've been in here for a while. Yeah, yeah <laughs> great.
1: And, and I mean, it'd be even more beneficial if they made you like five or six copies right away too, right?
0: Like they only give oh. you one key. What's up with the cards? Do you have the cards with like the, the key? Like you can't just take it to the guy who has like that thing that goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and they're like there's a special card now yep. and the buttons stick out and all that like what Who, who made the, somebody with like an Audi belly button must have come up with that system they were like I want something else in the world to look like my belly
1: so you're, <laughs> you, you have a card for your belly button is
0: that what you're saying I you got it how did you know that it doesn't really slide as well as I would hope it was actually quite uncomfortable when I try to do that depends on oh. how much I've eaten
1: is that a Jewish thing it's like part of the circumcision is the <laughs> oh, belly button tuck <laughs>
0: So you wanna hear the big news in the house, at least in my life? Yeah, go. Cool. I got the first of the vaccinations.
1: The first of what? Oh, of in your two. family?
0: Well, of my family, but also the first of the two. I got the first vaccination of the two that I'm gonna get.
1: What mutation has taken hold?
0: I have a new toe. I actually uh, have an 11th toe. It's, it's what awesome. a
1: worthless mutation. Come you on, are the worst can, X-Men ever.
0: Wait a minute, I can hang 11. That's what surfing is all about. I can now hang 11, not 10. 11
1: is it like a That's good I mean. toe though or is it like one of those little weird ones that kind of doesn't <laughs> it's
0: one of the ones i mean doesn't i like function it. or anything it's got like a nail on it whatever it's not a big deal um but but uh just for the record of course when i did it i posted my vaccine picture right and the babylon b you know the babylon b you know that yeah uh, yeah yeah so the babylon b came out if anybody doesn't know it's a uh, like sort of like the onion it's one of the new sort of fake newspapers and it said, um, researchers have found that if you don't post a vaccination selfie, the vaccine doesn't work. It's <laughs> was like, guilty as charged. I completely did that. Um, but yeah, I feel fine. I feel great. I'm really, uh, I'm quite, I mean, I got in there uh, because of the whole being a moyle thing that was helpful. But yeah. I'll You're considered
1: you know I an be- essential first responder because you- Well, we're
0: not, I'm not a considered an essential first responder, but I am sort of, Dealing with people in close quarters on a regular basis, like the way a doctor does.
1: But is it, it actually, is it is it essential? Because r- Judaism is the religion of the state or religion of the
0: country. That, that certainly doesn't hurt things. Right? <laughs> doesn't hurt things. <laughs> because I in no way
1: I in no way am essential because I do baptisms or uh,
0: no definitely no. Communion. If I were in any other country, they'd be like, "Will you get out of our face?" Like, no way, we're not giving you the vaccine first. But here in this country, where we do. Do a lot of circumcisions, and it is you do sort of deal with people in their homes, and it's a it's a lot of that. There, there was actually an article last week where one of the people who works in the government in in the religious affairs committee said, um, "We Mohalim, right? All the people who do circumcisions should get uh, the vaccinations with doctors." That's what they said, and that's actually how I ended up getting an appointment to get a vaccination. That's interesting. I so, listen while we're uh, while we're lifting things off of other podcasts um I listened to Smartless last week the la- the the last pl- uh this is a podcast if you haven't heard about it you should go check it out it's actually very funny it's with um Jason Bateman uh Will Arnett and Brian Hayes and they just basically rip on each other and it's great um and in this episode they had uh, James Corden on and as they finished up it was a great it was a good interview I thought it was actually very solid it was funny it was interesting I think he's a very I mean are you are you a Corden fan do you like him yeah all right so anyway basically what he said was at the end of his thing he said um, I want to ask you guys a question he said how much do the three of you um, sort of value your self-worth by the work that you do like if if they're, if the movie or the TV show isn't doing well do you basically think that you know your self-esteem goes to the through the you know down to through the toilet and I thought that was actually really, I mean, from where I sit, that is a very powerful question. And they actually they gave decent answers and whatever, but I'd love to hear, you know, what you think about that. How much do you bring home your work?
1: It's tough because the body of work is so vast and pervasive in our lives that, you know, in a huge way, a pastor's work is the relational work that, yeah, you definitely take home the baggage of, uh, you know, difficult conversations and conflict in the congregation, um, you know, um, people who are upset, uh, that kind of stuff. You definitely take that relational stuff home. Uh, and that must then it's really
0: hard to not take it home.
1: Yeah. And leading and managing, you know, staff and their livelihood and all that is always, um, tough. So that, you know, in that respect, Yes. I think a lot of that, you know, carries home. When you say take it home, you mean like uh, on an emotional level, not like, Correct. oh, I got to go in the back room and do some work tonight.
0: Like, no, no. I mean, I mean, like when, when things aren't going the way you want them to, or something really, like you said, something was really emotionally draining. Can you walk in your house and just be the best father that you can be and sort of like, let it all go when you walk over that threshold? Or like, is it still sort of weighing on you? And you might be short and terse and, you know, not the person you want to be at that moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've definitely gotten better. Um, I don't think, I think it takes a lot of, um, I I don't think it's whether I succeed or not. You know, I think the, the part that I definitely do because I love it and would do it either way is stuff like the podcast and preaching and, and talking about the Bible, that kind of stuff. And then also just sharing faith with people who are, Unchurched or dechurched, I think that's stuff that I would do, whether you paid me for it or not. And you know, the only thing I take home from that is like, you know, the stories, you know, the excitement to my uh, to my wife and girls and anybody else who will listen about how well it went or what's going well. So yeah, like in in essence, if those were all actors and performers, you know, they've got a body of work specifically that you know they can remove themselves from or not. There's not a relational aspect to it. Um, I mean, there is, but there, it's not an expectation of that, right? Like in, to be an actor, you don't have to be a kind, fun, f- compassionate human being as well. There's a lot of jerks who are also actors. Those sure. four are amazing human beings as well from what I understand. But um, but in my work, you've gotta be you know, somewhat uh, relational and uh, connective and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's the hard part of it for me, for sure. Uh, what about for you? How do, how do you handle that?
0: So look, I mean, I'm in a different sort of field than you are. I'm I'm more. I don't want to say I'm doing. A, I, I do have a business, right? And, and I do try to work with people on that one-on-one level. But you know, there are times when I'll give you I'll give you a story. I was over the this past summer. Um, there were people who contacted me. I had done their the, the the circumcision of their first son. They contacted me when they were expecting, and they said, "We're looking forward to being with you in August." And then some, like a couple months later, come the month of August, I looked online, I looked on Facebook and they posted pictures of the, the Brit Mila that they had done, the circumcision that they had done. And they didn't, they weren't in touch with me. They had someone else do it. And I just was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, when somebody doesn't take you a second time, it's like really hard, but like that they had contacted me And this. Anyway, um, turns out that they had something that, uh, was medically, you know, at a very high level, and the, and their doctor, when the when the baby was born, said you have to use somebody who's like a not a pediatrician, but more like a surgeon, not just my sort of classification. I'm not I'm not a quote unquote surgeon. Meaning, use a doctor, and so I contacted the mother. I said, well, you know, what happened? And she was my she was very much like it was. We loved using you, and we totally would have used you, but this was more almost like an emergency situation, and so of course I was like, oh, of course, like you know that I totally understand, but it. It, like at that moment was sort of, I actually, it's funny when I think about it, it reminds me of, do you ever see um, the movie Riding Giants? Do you ever see that surfing movie? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Riding Giants is this awesome, it's a great movie. Um, and they, at one point in the movie, they're, they're all big wave surfers. And when they we were talking to the, to Laird Hamilton, who's the, you know, one of the big, big, big surfers in that, in that movie, he actually also produced it. They said, you know, what's it like, actually they said it to Gabby Reese's wife. What's he like when when there are no big waves? And she's like, oh my God, he gets so depressed. And he's like, it's like there are, I'm a dragon slayer and there's just no dragons left to be slayed. That was the line. (laughs) And like, that's kind of like, it it hit me very hard. And But when she told me, I was like, oh, not the biggest deal. You know, like I I completely understand. But those things, like you can probably, if, if you asked Leia, my wife and my kids, you know they would probably say oh my gosh yeah you know not my kids who are pretty young but my wife immediately knows when something like that is going down like it it, it weighs on me and i become sort of a a more solemn and 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 serious person until i can sort of sort through it on my own right um, and so I, I don't i don't feel it was funny they said you know when the movie flops you know i'm talking about the the smartless episode when the movie flops you know and you had a great time making the movie does it matter to you that it flopped and and James Corden was like, "Oh, he was cuz he was in Cats and he's like, I didn't care that that movie flopped. I had the greatest time making it." And I was like, "That was the biggest flop I could think of, you know, in recent history." And and he was like, "It doesn't the cast, matter." To me.
1: The cast was phenomenal. I can see how That's, they they must have had fun working together and you know, sure. I'm sure some of them have their um their ego wrapped up in in the uh Absolutely. The response and all, but that, and that is tough. I think the, um, so, so there's kind of two different things we're talking about. It sounds like we're talking about the weight or the impact, the emotional um, gravity of what someone does versus what someone actually does, right? Like you can take home Prepping and planning and struggling over, you know, what to do and how to do it and how to make it work during COVID, that kind of stuff. That's work, right? You're still doing work while you're at home processing those things. But then I think what we both are saying about what we're wrestling with um, is kind of the emotional impact of it all. Like um, that kind of uh, all that social um, interaction stuff that really affects us in a bigger way, whether it's, you know, our reputation, our performance, our ego. Like, I think there's all these these attacks that come in during our work. And then that's, I think that's what we carry a weight on, which, you know, I think that's incredibly difficult to completely remove yourself from uh, unless you're a narcissist or a sociopath. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which I'm getting closer, so that's good. Uh, Ooh,
0: you could be the president one day.
1: I could. I hear they get a lot of votes in Georgia.
0: So the, um, but what you're saying is, is, is true, but you know, in, in a way, it's also, it's, there's some element of it that I always imagine to be difficult, and I want to know if this happens to you um, in your work, where rabbis were always telling me if they were a congregational rabbi and, that, and it was a big congregation, they could go one morning and they could, you know, be at a circumcision in the morning, which is a very high, happy event. Everyone's happy. And it's called a simcha, right? Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. They could then go and do a funeral. Then they could go and do a wedding in the afternoon. Then they could have another call in the middle of the night where somebody passed away. Like, I mean, the emotional roller coaster that it sounds like a person who heads up a religious community, is it's got to be massive. I mean, do you get that? Does that happen with you?
1: Which part of it again? What are you saying?
0: Where the emotional roller coaster is such that in one day you could go to, you could have a high, very happy celebratory event. Then all of a sudden you're doing a funeral. Then all of a sudden you're doing a celebratory event, like a wedding. And then all of a sudden you get a call in the middle of the night that somebody passed away and you have to, I mean, like the, I'm just trying to imagine how you could possibly, you know, emotionally shut down to, well, I don't know if it's shut down, but emotionally process all of that. If you're, unless you're just, like you said, I'm a sociopath, I'm completely blocking it all out. What do you do? Do you get that? Does that happen to you?
1: Yeah, all the time. I mean, I always say we're at the height and depth of uh, humanity's greatest uh, emotional window. Uh, Meaning like, like you said, like I could be doing a wedding and get a call that someone died and have to go to the bedside. Right. Um, I could be, you know, newborn babies and then, you know, cancer in the same afternoon. And it's happened. I mean, it's it's common for sure. Um, and even, you know, daily prayers, we're constantly praying for people who are experiencing the heights of life and the depths of life. And so, um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think you have to realize in a lot of ways, it's not about me um, and even sometimes people's response. You have to absorb some of it, but then determine how much of it was, was I a part of or is about me and how much of it. And if the percentage is a greater fault on my side, um, you know, it's important to reflect upon and possibly apologize for and figure out how to change. But sometimes like COVID, for instance, it's, it's a it's a great example where people, you know, weekly, um, probably more often than weekly, I get, you know, scathing emails about how we're choosing to um, worship online only or do Bible study online and not have meetings and gatherings in the church. And so I have to read that and go, okay, are are they really upset about this or are they grieving the fact that they can't see, haven't been able to see their kids, Mm -hmm. families, loved ones for 10 months, including two, you know, holidays where they've had decades of experience? Um, Are they upset with the fact that they, you know, they were baptized here and they had their, they were married here and they had their kids baptized here and their, you know, their grandmother was buried here at the church and they can't show up on a Sunday to remember that. At a time when they need the church the most, it's hard. It's grief, and so I have to, you know, sort of acknowledge. Okay, there's some of this that's not about me, and that helps me, you know, kind of let go of it. Um, you know, therapy definitely helps me to figure out just having someone else to, you know, ask those questions back to me. Like, you know, do you really need to worry about this, or is this something you can control or not? I think people often think that um, they're in control of. 100% of what they do all the time and 100% of what happens to them all the time when really there's this like incredibly messy mix even of what you're controlling of yourself the amount of things that we're doing on automatic uh, response in our lives you know based on preconditioned um, defense mechanisms it's crazy you know the amount of things that are that are happening right now in this room that I'm not paying attention to That could be causing you know issues or problems to my health or livelihood, because you know your mind teaches you just to focus on what's important. Um, It sort of gets you; it helps you get out of the way of feeling like you're guilty for everything. And um, so, it's a good defense, but it's also you know it could be crippling if you say nothing's your fault or nothing is in your control. But it helps you not take it home if you can figure out you know okay this isn't all about me. There's a lot more going on than I than i see or imagine um ricky gervais often says this have you his his kind of on stage persona uh in comedy and the golden globes is uh he'd often say i don't care shut up i don't care what you think he would tell an offensive joke and everyone would be booing or awing or he you know he'd knock a celebrity down in some way that seemed like a low blow And people would kind of be put off by, he'd say, I don't care. It it doesn't matter whether people like it or not, you know, he's doing comedy, he's doing bits and people getting offended often, often means he's getting closer to, you know, the topic at hand and the heart of it. And I think it's, it's a good reminder that, you know, even, uh, you know, if we're not intending to offend people and if we're sensitive to the material, not being offensive in itself, it's not you know, personal that people didn't like it or not. It's, you know, it still could be funny in a lot of ways for him.
0: It reminds me of what you were talking about last time we were when we, when we recorded, you were talking about how Andy Kaufman, like there were those times where he would get up and he would read The Great Gatsby, right? Until like, oh, yeah. his entirety, you know what I mean? Like no. there are times where I feel like um, you have gone to a level where you have totally closed out what's in front of you or who's in front of you that you completely don't care whether or not it's funny or not, or it's good or not. Whereas on the other side, um, I think if you're up on stage, like going with the comedy you know, angle or the improv angle, if you're only worried about how the people are responding and that's all that you're focused on, then you can't actually be, you won't be funny, right? You've right. got to have some sort of distance there. And, 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 what, and so from, my, from where I come from with all of this, there are times where, you know, there's a lot swirling around in my head, right? and i think that in order to really do those things good especially improv if you want to do improvisational comedy well i think you have to have the clearest mind possible right you have to be like sort of no preconceived notions no nothing you, you don't know what's going to come at you and you have to be completely ready i, I mean did how, how did when when we did improv is that did you have any sort of plan whatsoever or were you just boom totally like off the cuff
1: i mean that's the that's the training that's the practice of improv is getting out of getting into the moment and getting out of you know prep and planning it's just responding and reacting um you know if you and and i think back to kind of taking it home like if you're overthinking what you did wrong with improv comedy you weren't in the moment at all mm-hmm. you know because it's not about with improv it's not about the laugh all the time it's just about the believability of the scenario and helping each other, you know, shine and look better like a team should, right? Like you're always throwing one back to your teammate or helping them grow on what they're thinking about, not trying to be the hero or the one who gets everybody gets the biggest laugh. Sometimes it's just the scenario. We had a few great improvs where there, it wasn't too funny, but there was a great you know mood and atmosphere about it and so there wasn't you know you, we, you know, we'd be devastated if we were like nobody laughed but everybody <laughs> everybody did great and i think that's where improv you know becomes sort of like cheesy and kitschy is where where, where someone's like you know gets uncomfortable with having not laughed in a while that they do mm-hmm. something absolutely ridiculous and out of context out of the scene to make people laugh it's almost like you got the cheap laugh but the cost was the entire right. scene that you were trying to relive.
0: Well, what's, see, what's interesting also, though, is, is the difference between improv comedy and stand up comedy in my mind is that, well, let, let's start here we always did comment when I when you and I were doing comedy together all of our friends were in the audience so we had like a complete leg up right they and laughed mom, at yeah. and your mom <laughs> the best part about your mom and dad your mom and dad were there right was yep. I right about yep. that yeah yeah do you remember what they said after my first set that I did that whole first night they didn't they care said for your language home? right they did not care for my language that's right and I was like oh my god the whole time I saw them I was like who are those two people? It's like 24 year olds and how old were your parents? Like definitely in their 50s, right? Like, and I'm like, I was like, I don't know who those people are, but I'm just gonna go for it. Anyway, so, but when we had all those friends there, they gave us that leg up. But when when you do improv, the great thing about improvisational comedy is that when you get to a place where people can laugh, they're so amazed at the fact that you had no preparation for this, that you get almost like an extra boosting, laugh you know what I'm saying like you're like sure oh if God, they didn't pay they come up with to that. come see you yeah <laughs> no but I mean how do they how do they come up with that on the fly that's the amazing part about improv whereas like when you do stand-up that you are so on like you have better make this a really good joke otherwise I'm going to say you had all this time to prepare and you this is what you came up with you know what I mean like you're almost at like a deficit when you do stand-up comedy to get the yeah. laugh so and yeah.
1: in, in a way it, you know it's like uh same way with bringing work home you have to be really grounded in something much bigger than the moment or the response or the experience itself, right? Like if you're fully present and experiencing it for what it's worth, you're kind of looking beyond things you can't control, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in both of our religions, there's a way of defining yourself that is outside of the immediate reality, right? Like in for 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 Christians, it's Um, In being baptized, we join in Jesus' baptism, and in Jesus' baptism, God says, you're my child, um, you're my beloved, and I'm pleased with you. Meaning before Jesus even did anything, um, and before I even did anything to prove my love and my worth, God says, I love you, I'm pleased with you, um, and you're my child, right? And so if we can ground ourselves in that, and then I have a shitty day at work, or someone blows up at me for something I did wrong, I go, well, you know, I'll work on being better, but God still loves me. I'm not completely worthless, you know, pile. I'm, I'm I'm a pretty good person. God loves me and I'm trying my best to do better. I think there's something we have to find depth and meaning and purpose beyond whatever we're doing or else we're missing the point of, you know, why we're doing it. What's the mission? What's the vision of what we're doing more? what is What does Judaism have that sort of grounds you? In a greater sense of it's not just about life as we see it, but there's something there's something spiritual and more meaningful.
0: I think what what I get from Judaism, which I don't even like I don't even like that terminology. Like what does what the religion have to give me? But what I think the religion does because it shouldn't be about you know well what have you done for me lately? But but what what is amazing about Judaism is that it not only gives you a structure to your life, but it, there are people who say that it actually gives you sort of. Meaningful moments throughout your entire day, like everything that I do can sort of be infused with a sort of devotion to God or to a uh, to working towards elevating myself to be more god like right so i 'll give you one of my favorite examples is that um, there are people who I know who got very upset about this, and they sort of this is what turned them off to the traditional Judaism, and for me, it actually totally had you know helped me head in that direction, which was there actually is a way to put on your shoes. There is a, a dictated way in Jewish law of how I'm supposed to put on my shoes. And people, and the reason that's given in the, in the traditional uh, um, legal texts is a little bit weird. Like it says like to ward off like the evil spirits. And so people get turned off by that. But, but to think about the fact that I'm supposed to put on my, my right shoe, then my left shoe, tie my left shoe, then tie my right shoe. That's actually the order. Actually makes can say you can think of it as like, who cares? Why does God care about me putting on my shoes? Or you can say, no, even putting my shoes on is a way that I'm showing my devotion to God and and working towards being more godlike. For for me, that was extremely meaningful. I I found that to be very powerful.
1: So so in a way, it's you're kind of saying like it's not about, you know, the, the the law helps us not to follow the law, but the law gives us ways to to be devoted to God.
0: Correct. I definitely think that that's the case. Um, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about someone, um, when something sort of happens where you have that moment where somebody isn't happy with something that you did. I read a book a long time ago, and, and it was about uh, the way, I don't know if it was supposed to be a self-help book, but it was a Jewish, uh, written by a rabbi, And the book talked about how, when someone is giving you a hard time, when somebody is like screaming at you or being mean to you or something, he he used this analogy. He said, you should always look at um, this scenario as if uh, you're a slave, okay? Stay with it for a second. And when a slave is, not that you specifically, but when a slave is being beaten by his master, he's never mad at the stick, right? He's mad at the master. Right. So the analogy is master is God, stick is person being angry at me, and I'm being beaten by the stick. And so if somebody's giving you a hard time not being nice to you, not doing what you like, you shouldn't be mad at them. They're actually just a conduit that God has sent to you to teach you some sort of lesson. And I thought, well, if you're looking at this from the vantage point of self-help, right, that I'm not gonna let my anger get overtake me and I'm gonna be like you were talking, more grounded. I think it's a very good analogy in some ways. But immediately when I read it, I said, so wait a minute. So I'm the stick sometimes? Like when I make someone else mad, I'm not actually in control of my own being and God is just using me as this conduit and I'm a stick and I didn't like that. But like I said, there's something really powerful about what he wrote in that I'm not supposed to look at this person as, a, uh, as the actual problem. The problem is maybe in me right? And God is trying to teach me a lesson. There's something powerful in that. I mean, do, what do, how does that re, do? Does that sound something like uh, that works for you? Or is that like a
1: get rid of not it? Not really. So you're saying that God beats you with a stick and you're the s- dick?
0: <laughs> I told you, the analogy is to really flawed. The teach analogy you a just, lesson? Correct. That his point was that the person who is angering you or, or screaming at you is not the problem, right? God is in control of everything. So, therefore, God has sent this person to you to teach you a lesson. So, don't get mad at that person. Look in yourself inwardly. And that is a very Jewish idea, by the way. Look inwardly and say, what did I do wrong? And what do I have to work on to make myself a better person? Right. But the analogy he used, like I said, it's flawed. It's, you know, that there's a master beating a slave and the stick. And yeah, somebody's supposed to be the stick. And I don't like that at all.
1: Okay, I, I don't get it, but I don't need to agree with it either. Um, <laughs> no, but how? So how are you saying it's it relates to bringing home stress and and taking on the weight of work? What is that? How does that what what, Back it, to what we were I think about? it's
0: I think it's if if you use the anal- or if you don't use the analogy, but you understand that the whole everything around you that's happening around you is happening because God is in control of it, right? Everything, as we say in Hebrew, is Kol Everything is coming from heaven everything is from God, then I, when things aren't going the way that I want, I have to sort of refocus myself and say, you know what, this is sort of God's plan as well. And I have to not bring it home with me. I have to say, okay, I can't just let it bring me so down that I can't function as a person. I need to just say, this is part of what's happening now. Let's not bring it home. Let's not, you know, as I said, walk into the house, and say, you know, things are horrible, and I can't be happy, and I can't be, and I'm just going to sit on the couch and be a couch potato and be depressed, right? Or just even just, you know, be snippy, you know what I mean? Like, I've got to say, there are, there's more going on here, and I'm sort of working on a longer goal, and I'm not going to let it get me down. That's how I'm saying not to bring.
1: Yeah, so in essence, yeah, there's a lesson to be learned. Um, I think there might be some differences in how we see, you know, whether God created these things or whether God, you know, there's often, you know, free will and, uh, involved in how we can utilize, you know, there are certain natural uh, laws in place and free will involved that God is not controlling a hundred percent all the time, but if it's causing, you know, we can learn from what's being applied to us. I think that's where, where it may be different, but I may not totally get
0: it anyways. It's quite all right. Don't, don't hold it against yourself. Um, you know, what's interesting was when I, when I was thinking about that, that case where I had someone that I was thought I was going to do the second circumcision for, um, and I sort of was beating myself up about it. It really actually brought me back to what, um, after having our, our episode with him, what Mm -hmm. Rich was talking about with changing your story, changing your life that for like, I can sometimes internalize what's happened. And a lot of the time, what I'm talking about with the work I do is I set a goal for myself. Right, And I want to be as close to perfect as possible. You know, I want to do the job as absolutely best as I can. And when I miss the, the mark that I've set for myself, that I can get down on myself, I can give myself a really hard time. And in doing that, I remember thinking, Ugh, you know, like it just, the whole thing started to be about me and uh, what did I do wrong? And why didn't they use me and da, 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 da. And then I realized, you know, when the story actually came to me that, no, it wasn't you at all. They just, they had to do, they needed to do something else in this instance. I realized it's like what Rich was talking about. Like if you're going to sit there and look at every situation, right. And, and you're going to build these stories about who you are mm-hmm. um, and, and they're going to be destructive, right. Then that's not going to, you're going to just be stuck in your own sort of cycle there of, of negativity instead of, actually going, wait a minute, maybe this isn't about me at all. Maybe right. I'm doing the best job I possibly can.
1: Yeah. Like you, you told yourself a story that your, your work quality was bad uh, when really it had more to do with you were just, you know, you carried the emotional weight because you thought you thought your work quality was bad when really it was just, they, they needed a, you know, a skilled medical expert as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah, uh, totally.
1: It's not about you
0: doesn't it sometimes feel it's always about you? I, I'm maybe just, maybe, maybe it's just me.
1: I mean, that it brings up another good question. Like, when is it helpful to, you know, say it is about you? Mm. Um, Cause there's gotta be a line, right? Like if you say everything's not about you, right. It is like borderline narcissism, sociopathic behavior. Right.
0: See, but I told you Jews are the complete opposite in that. Like we have prayers during um, the high holidays. Um, and we talk about, uh, there's a common theme that comes up about why we were exiled from Israel, right? Well, in a, you know, 2000 years ago, when the um, second temple was destroyed. Uh, the interesting thing is that Jews instant, instinctually look inwardly, which I think is, it's a great, it's a great quality in some senses, but it can be self-destructive if you're you know, too inward, like we were talking about. Another but great quality that,
1: I find in all Jews is you guys always talk about every biblical experience as if you were there in that it, moment, man. like we, what you so, just, like so, just, right, just during the like we're, we're at fault for the exile. It's like, oh, you were there. You <laughs> yep, were a exactly. slave so, in Egypt. Ha-
0: look, did you get exact, Moses autograph? <laughs> the Exact verbiage uh, verbiage of this text in the in the tefillah, in the prayer actually says that it says. Why were was we exiled? It wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar, you know, came from Babylon and completely razed Jerusalem and kicked us out. It was because we sinned. That's the language. We sinned, therefore, we didn't. We can I can I yeah, go ahead. No, go. It?
1: You could go for it. I, I
0: have one more digression. I, I apologize for a couple of digressions today, but I ended up watching and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. It's not totally related to our topic today, but what are you gonna do? Um I was watching the Dave Letterman, you know, my next guest. Do you ever watch that?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: There was one that I watched the other day because I'm a big fan. I watched the one where he had Robert Downey Jr. on. I don't know if you saw that specific episode. Did yep. you see that specific episode? Uh, and now I think this came, I'm not sure when it came out, but it definitely came out after COVID began because there was a great joke in the beginning where it said, um, this was filmed before the outbreak of COVID in March. Um, you know, in March of, you know, before March 2020. And then it, and it went black. And then it said, all of Dave's jokes were from 1980. <laughs> it's a great joke good. in and of itself. But, the, but when they were sitting there doing this, they started interlacing. I don't know if they always do this because I don't watch it regularly, but they interlaced him, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and David uh, Letterman going to Robert Downey Jr.'s Malibu mansion. And sure. he was sort of doing all this stuff, right, where they were going around and they were, he was showing him the animals and the animal. he didn't even know what the animals were called. And I sort of walked away from it and went like, "Wow, that really falls tone deaf right now." This whole episode in my mind—not the whole episode, but this part where they went to his mansion. How many people have no way to make ends meet right now? And and here's Robert Downey Jr. not knowing the animals that he has in his own. He's like, "I don't know. I've never even like seen this animal before. What is this animal?" Like he doesn't. I was like, "How much money does that man have? And how much money do we?" On the whole, are we? It was just hard to watch. I mean, what what, what do you think? Of, I mean, like, is that am I overreacting?
1: Well, I mean, to put it back on the point of what we were talking about earlier, uh I think he he probably has an outlet to not take his work home or too seriously. Could be, and you know, I think the grad the um, the the immensity of his hobby of his outlet is way bigger than yours or ours. You know, it's bigger than, you know, <laughs> the hobby of surfing or woodworking for some people Or like, you know, uh, he's just got a lot more money and a lot more, you know, uh, capital to play with. I, you know, I think yes, you know, if they were talking about, you know, in relation, you know, he, if, if, if they asked him, you know, how are you handling the millions of millions of cases and and uh, weight and he of like, the political, he's like, look at this llama. I just, I, I think this llama is great. But that would I think be a little tone deaf. Um, see, I, I think he just needs something to kind of decompress because I, you know, I'm, it's hard to say that actors have you know tough lives, but you know they do take very seriously what they're doing, and I can imagine some of it sure. does come home. Um, what was really what was what I liked about what he did though was he said, um, "What was it?" An Arnold Palmer. He's like, "I'm going to go make an Arnold Palmer." And he went inside and, and I mean, everyone expected him to bring back an Arnold Palmer for him and Letterman. He comes back with
0: two, right? He he comes, comes back, back with two, two
1: and he gives them to the hired hands, the hired caretakers yep. of these animals. And they said he gets, he does this for us every day. Wow. Which That's did good. have that ounce of compassion that he did care about what was going on and care about the people involved. You know, and those people were probably, you know, they were making probably more than More than minimum wage because it was, you know, RDJ, but uh, they, you know, were in all intents and purposes a lot of celebrities could just treat them as, you know, people they pass by and look down on and don't treat well. But it sounds like from that interaction and what they said, he's always treating them well, taking care of them. And he's got this outlet for this is just where I get away. I don't care about these animals too much. I like staring at them. I like sitting out here. And that's just what I need to decompress. I mean, for us, that might be the ocean. And, you know, for you, you going surfing, people could say the same thing. Like, isn't that frivolous when there are people uh, dying, there's prayers that need to happen. There's blah, blah, blah. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I gotta, I gotta, you know, get my head
0: clear somehow. 100%. Did you, I'm going to show a card here. Um, and I'm sure you will remember this very well. Um, five of clubs, five for, of clubs for
1: our listeners who can't see Jamie still hasn't figured out that there's no, Video with a podcast, so it's the Five of Clubs. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, guys. Thanks for showing the card.